Hello and welcome to Super Together. It's the podcast where a couples therapist and a life coach who also defies labels uh, <laughs> talks about how to be better at relationships. I'm James Cochran and I'm the couples therapist. And across from me is Ginger Rothis and she is the life coach slash label defier. Each week we will talk through a topic and see what it has to teach us about cultivating more authentic relationships. Ginger. Do you have a story about our topic today? What is our topic today? Our topic today is um, relationships uh, and political discussions. Mm. Um, it's a hot topic right now as we have an election on Tuesday. And not hot topic like the clothing store. <laughs> no, <laughs> hot like, like dumpster fire. <laughs> okay, <laughs> kind of <yeah>. hot. <laughs> that is hot. Um, oh, a lot of, uh, yes. But um, so I guess next time we record, we will have a new president, James, or a Oh boy! Oh that, wait, I that should... feels that feels very uh, knock on wood type of. Unless there's uh, contested statement. election results, which I predict could you happen. You know, um, so we are in the midst of a pretty fraught political moment, um, and next time we record, yes, uh, an election will have taken place. Okay, <laughs> I think let's that, do that 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 we can feel People some measure of confidence voted. in saying. Um, I've already voted. I did um, I haven't, an advanced I'm ballot. in Missouri, and um, uh, they don't have as many advanced days. Kansas mm, has figured it out more than Missouri, which typically yeah. is the case. But um, one of the things we want to talk about today is if there has been damage done by mm -hmm. political discussions within your friends, family, relationships, um, you know, what are some ideas for healing personally from those or healing the relationship? Um, we did a pod or a political topic podcast. I think it mm -hmm. was like episode nine for us. It was yeah, early on. Yeah, it was on. a while back, like in the spring. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, so we covered a lot of things like trying to communicate through our beliefs and not make assumptions and not judge the character of, per of a person based on their political party. And so we covered a lot of kind of individual ground. And today we want to talk about more how this impacts your relationships with others and, mm -hmm. and what damage may have been done because we've been in this heated contentious energy around this election for um quite some time now right and one of the um articles that we were going over in prep is called how hatred came to dominate american politics by lee drutman from 538 uh, i think i'm pronouncing that correctly um and what's what's fascinating um is that um over time we as sort of political citizens have come to view people across the aisle, so people that are affiliated with a different political party, um, less and less favorably uh, over time. So if you look at the numbers from like 1980, um, you would look at your own party and like you would say on a scale of uh, zero to 100, you would rate your own party as like 75% in terms of how favorable or warm they were. And you'd rate your own party like in the like mid 40s, like 45. Um, and then basically from 1980 on, the, the how you view the other party just starts to plummet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in 88, um, you're still kind of in the mid 40s. Um, in 96, you're at 40 percent. In 2004, you're at like 36 percent. Um, you know, by 2012, it's like 25 percent um, and it just kind of continues um, to drop. Um, and so part of... Um, there, there's a lot of different explanations for that, and I think that this article does a really good job at sort of breaking those down. 538, if you're not aware, is a sort of data-driven, statistically-focused website that doesn't 
get into a whole lot of punditry and I think offers commentary that is more focused on like what do the numbers actually tell us. And that has to do with like polling and surveys, but also just broad data analysis um, that kind of informs um, what this looks like. So somehow or another, we got to this place where we have a really low view of people that are across the aisle in a different party. Um, and we talked, I think, in our first episode about how that often puts us in a position where we make a lot of assumptions, where we say, well, if you're a Republican, you must believe things X, Y, and Z. And if you're a Democrat, you must believe, you know, these kinds of things. Um, so the very first thing I think that we would offer folks is to really challenge the um, the assumptions that they're making and recognize that the people that are showing up um, in your life do not like perfectly align with Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whatever other political candidate they might be supporting. Like if you think of it as a Venn diagram, you know, in terms of how do your beliefs overlap with the beliefs of a candidate that you support, that it's not like two perfectly overlapping circles. There is going to be some space um, where you disagree, some space where you're different, and really like honoring those differences, recognizing that each person is an individual, I think is is a lot of where we begin. Um, I think one of the reasons why this felt especially important to me is because it feels like um, the <laughs> the differences have generated more like uh, deal breakers in relationships. Mm-hmm. Like um, it reminds me of um, uh, the 30 Rock. Have you ever watched 30 Rock? Mm-hmm. Where Liz Lemon basically like, m- you know, makes herself famous as this feminist icon by saying that's a deal breaker, ladies. And um, and I think that a lot of people are approaching their relationships that way. And I'll admit that I'm sometimes guilty yeah. of doing this as well. Like it says like, oh, well, if you support this candidate, I cannot be in relationship yeah. with you uh, because of what this candidate represents and your continued support of this particular candidate um, kind of continues to represent that. Um, and so um, I feel like that's where we find ourselves stuck in a lot of ways mm-hmm. is um, what does it look like more broadly to approach that issue in a way that feels healthy And then also, how do we navigate our relationships that maybe don't offer us the same kind of flexibility? Like if it's a Facebook friend, it's easy to just sort of block them or unfollow Mm -hmm. them. But what if it's, you know, cranky Uncle Ted, Mm -hmm. who's going to be at every family gathering we go to over the next Mm -hmm. two months? Um, And how do we navigate that? So I'm not sure if you've got thoughts on like, what does it look like to show up in those spaces in a way that Mm -hmm. feels authentic, but still healthy for us? Yeah, I think one of the things to consider is why... Why does this feel like such a threat to me? Mm. You know, why does being in this person's presence feel like a threat? And then dive into a little bit about why why am I not safe here? And in Lee's article that you um, quoted at the beginning, he has a line of, um, it's bad news for a democracy when 60 to 70% of people view fellow citizens of the other party as a serious threat. Mm. And that line... Um, kind of reminded me of our tribal instincts as human beings that we feel safe when we're with people that are just like us mm-hmm. and that's how our brain works um, that we we are wired to see a threat if something is different or if somebody is different and that served us very well um, in our early uh, human being days mm-hmm. to avoid threats that could uh, end our our lifetime right a survival mm-hmm. of okay, that species of wolf doesn't look like uh, the others I'm familiar with, so it's probably dangerous. And and so we have to understand that our brain is going back to, I feel safer when I'm around people that think like I do. And 
when I think this political divide has brought up so many, um, you know, kind of this vitriol environment of conversation that we feel threatened most of our days in a political conversation. I mean, there are, I have clients that are like, that. I can't even mention uh, anything about politics mm-hmm. or the election because it will ter- start World War III in my family. Wow. And so I think part of understanding the complexity of each of our brains, the complexity of why, why we feel threatened by these people, um, it may help you kind of understand why, you know, what do, do I go to the family event or mm-hmm. is it, am I feeling so threatened that I need a boundary here that says I'm, I, I can't go because the fear is so deep. And, you know, and I know that sounds dramatic, but that's really what's going on in your brain. You feel threatened by people that disagree with you. And we kind of have to break down what's under that. What am I really afraid of? Yeah. And I think that helps us be have more clarity in the decisions of can I coexist with this person? Yeah. I think one of the ideas that's just kind of becoming clear in my head in this moment as we speak is the ways that it feels, and maybe this is just my imagination telling me that it's different, but I feel part of what is different about this moment is there were things that were kind of unspoken for a long time. And that allowed us all to sort of share the same spaces in a way that says, you know, maybe you believe this, maybe you don't believe this. Um, But I think part of the consequence of having a president that is breaking a lot of norms is that we're having conversations about things that we did not have conversations Mm -hmm. about before. Um, We're having more conversations about the impact of race. We're having more conversations about um, class, you know, disparity in, in the ways that income doesn't necessarily get distributed very evenly. Uh, we're having more conversations about, you know, climate and about science and about health and all these different types of things that for a long time were just sort of like, yeah, well, we don't really talk about that. Well, once it gets brought to the surface, it's harder to ignore. It's harder to just pretend like um, we're not... Um, you know, addressing those kinds of issues when we're connecting with a particular candidate. Um, so, you know, you might look at a past president, you might look at George W. Bush and say, well, I could probably guess how he feels about a particular group of people based on his policies or based on how people associated with his party are going to feel different types of things. But you don't have to guess in the current climate. And then the opposition party is going to feel the necessity of stating their positions on it. So everything becomes much more clear and much more salient. Um, So it's harder to just pretend like we're not living in a world where we feel like we know where people stand. And I think we can still go back to that first conversation that we started about assumptions and say, um, you know, that just because a person supports a candidate doesn't necessarily mean that they share all of the same values with that candidate. So that's something that we can challenge. Um, but I also think it's fair for us to say that we are allowed to feel individually threatened by a particular ideology, by a particular political party, by a particular candidate. And if we find ourselves being unsafe in relationship with people who support that candidate, support that ideology, or even if those are just um, sort of logical extensions that we're making where we say, okay, well, Maybe you support Donald Trump for reasons X, Y, or Z, but Donald Trump also advocates A, B, and C, and those are things that really do affect me in significant ways. 
Um, one of the things that I think is probably important for us to name is that um, we're both white people. And as a function of being white people, um, the ways that we are threatened by um, political realities, policy changes and decisions um, are less significant. Um, and I'll say that as a man, like um, I had a friend who I was having a political conversation with the other day um, and he was like, well, how is your life worse because of Donald Trump? And I'm saying like, well, as a white guy, like my life's fine. Like I've had almost no impact on the way that I want to live my life and the decisions that I want to make. Um, but I have relationships with people who I care about who are people of color. I'm raising two daughters. Like there are all kinds of things that um, really do matter to me that have an impact. And if I decide that those feel like things that I don't um, feel like I can show up with in a space of safety, um, then I think that we want to make sure that we reserve the right as individuals to express our authenticity by limiting our participation by not participating. One of the things, um, I have a, a, a free course that I put together. It's basically, it's just a video with a couple of worksheets. Um, if you go to convergecourses.com slash politics, you can check it out where I sort of help walk people through, like, how do you actually make decisions about where you show up and how, um, in your, uh, family gatherings, like over the holiday season, and one of the things that I would encourage you to do is like list out all the times that your family is going to get together um, and then have an intentional conversation maybe with your partner, with the rest of your family and say like, okay, how's everybody, how's everybody going to feel when we go to Nana's house for Thanksgiving? Um, are there people that we want to make sure that we're paying attention to? Um, are there, you know, do we not want to leave anybody in a room alone with anybody else, you know, because that might make them feel triggered or make things escalate? Um, do we want to make sure that we, you know, arrive at 5 p.m. and leave at 6 p.m. so that we can connect with the people who matter to us, but that we're limiting our exposure? Um, those are actually pretty easy okay. conversations to have. It might be challenging in some cases to get on the same page, but ultimately, we can have those kinds of conversations if we allow the space for them. And what you may find to your point that you made earlier is there may be spaces where we just say, you know, I'm not going to Nana's this year. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I, there are people there that I want to be with, um, the broader implications of being present in that space, knowing what I now know about some of the people who occupy that space doesn't really put me in a position to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear a couple of things in what you're saying. One um, is that, you know, that assessment of what is the measurement of, uh, I don't know what the word is, suffering. Mm -hmm. So is it, is, you know, if I tell them I'm not coming, that's a, that's a, that's suffering. It's going to be a painful moment of disappointment and discomfort, but that's a moment versus I go to the event, I'm miserable for hours, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to ruminate on it for a week and not, maybe not forgive this person for whatever transpired. That's a longer mm -hmm. measurement of suffering. And so if I look at things in like the measurement of uncomfort, discomfort, mm -hmm. you know, having a tough conversation to say, we're not coming this year is a short amount of discomfort versus going when your intuition was saying, don't go. And then it blows up and your kids are upset and you regret going and, you know, and you have mm -hmm. this volcano explode on you that then is going, you're going to carry for weeks after this. Um, you know, that's a longer period of suffering. So I'm, I'm kind of looking for ways to offer clients like de decision making devices, which it sounds mm -hmm. like you're your course is perfect for that. Um, the other thing I hear is um, this spirit of curiosity in what you said of like, 
is there something I can learn from this person? Um, you know, I have cousins that are, live in Western Kansas and um, are in the agriculture business and their world is very different than mine. So mm-hmm. I am curious because we have different, differing political uh, views, but I want to know what's important to them. Is it, you know, is it taxes? Is it subsidies? Like why, what, what's playing into your decision that I may have different criteria than you do based on, on our, you know, mm-hmm. our, the lives we're living. So if I can go into that um, discussion where I know I'm the minority in my beliefs, but if I can go in with a curiosity instead of a fear, mm-hmm. then I go in with less ego, less intent to convince or be correct or, or prove a point, but more, how does this impact you? And why, why do you believe what you believe? Why are you, you know, siding with the party you're siding? Help me understand it. Yeah. Um, and so if that's possible, and I know a lot of damage has been done in relationships and families, and we may be beyond that point now. Um, but, you know, we are, we've said this before on the podcast, but the air we're breathing in North America is very heavy, mm-hmm. right? We have this, this holiday season is unlike any other. Um, we have the pandemic, we have um, this election, uh, we are in, we're living in tenuous times. And so if we could go in to all of our conversations with a spirit of just help me understand what you're feeling. I, I always like your question, James, what's it like to be you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what can I learn from this? Maybe we can soften that defensiveness a bit. Yeah, I I really like the idea of listening to understand. Um, you know, early on in the uh, pandemic, one of the podcast projects that I felt like I had a lot of time for was um, called Trump over a beer. It it's I kind of mothballed it. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was a moment where. Um, my release schedule really coincided with um, the Black Lives Matter movement really stirring up in a way that felt very um, uh, like it like that deserved um, to take precedence over, um, you know, focusing on this podcast about politics and Donald Trump. Um, but the whole point of those conversations was kind of listening to understand. Um, and one of the things that I remember feeling most acutely was gosh, I really want to argue. Like when I'm asking people, tell me about all the different reasons you support Donald Trump. And it's probably not a secret. Most of the people that listen to this podcast can probably infer that I'm probably pretty liberal. But um, listening to that podcast or listening to those people while I was uh, recording that podcast, I just felt like every other thing that they said, I wanted to say, well, what about this? And what about that? And well, how how do you defend this? And, and, And ultimately not being allowed to do that. That was part of the sort of boundaries that I created for myself was just, I'm just going to listen to understand and recognize that almost 100% of what motivated my energy to debate, to argue was driven by my ego, was driven by my need to be right, my need to be um, correct in those spaces. Um, And so if we can show up to those spaces saying, I just want to try to understand. Now, it would be great if the people we're connecting with are trying to understand us as well. Exactly. Um, and that isn't always <laughs> present. And that, to me, feels like an essential piece of what it is to safely relate to people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think you can also decide is trying to negotiate what feels like, um, okay, this is a hill I'm prepared to die on. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. if I'm at Nana's house and somebody brings up 
um, that they think the Black Lives Matter movement is just a bunch of um, crisis actors and conspiracy and all this other stuff. You know, that might be something that especially when I think about modeling for my kids and being an influence on my brothers and all these other different mm-hmm. types of things where I might say, okay, I've got to speak up. I don't want to. It's not going to be comfortable, but I really need to make sure that I am understood in this mm-hmm. space. And then there are some things like if somebody says, you know, I think that we should really move toward um, a flat tax policy so that everybody pays 10%, mm-hmm. which is a pretty re- regressive tax ideology that mostly favors the rich. At least that's my view as a, a more liberal person. Um, that might not be something that I want to get into. It's like, okay, like I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you know, carry that belief. Ultimately, that doesn't have the same kind of impact in terms of what my values are um, as, as other issues. And so understanding what those are ahead of time, um, having some kind of internal dialogue, if not a family dialogue that puts you in a position um, to be better prepared to have the conversations that matter, that allow you to be fully authentic, um, and then which conversations you feel like you can give yourself permission to step away from. Um, And one of the other things that I'd say is like, just give yourself permission to step away, period. In any context, in any environment, um, the responsibility does not squarely fall on you to change the hearts and minds of all the people that you're in relationship Mm -hmm. with. Um, It can feel that way sometimes, and when our values really matter to us, we can feel like, oh my gosh, like I am responsible for making sure that cranky Uncle Ted sees the light. Um, You're not. You're just not. Um, You can do what you can, and your values might might say that there are spaces in which you want to do that. But you can, in being authentic and navigating your own needs for self-care, say, you know what, I'm just going to step away, or I'm not going to go to this gathering, or I'm going to show up for an hour, but I'm going to make sure that I'm not even in the same room with with cranky Uncle Ted. Um, I think that we are sometimes trapped by the traditions that we live into. We feel like, well, you know, we go to Nana's every single year, so I guess we're going to have to go this year, even if it's miserable, even if it makes life really, really hard for me. Um, And ultimately, you get to decide what that means to you, whether that tradition is worth preserving in terms of the way that it impacts you in your life, um, or if it's like, you know, this actually hurts me more than it makes me feel connected. Um, And that, I think, is the ultimate question that we want to be asking ourselves in those spaces. Yeah, I love that. It hurts me more than it makes me feel connected. That's a great Mm -hmm. filter to run the decisions through. And I want to highlight um, this. You are not responsible um, for everybody's happiness, for mm-hmm. everybody's right views, in your opinion, for, because I feel for like everybody's I, left views. For everybody's left views, ah, correct. <laughs> good, right? There you go. Um, I need to use correct instead of right. Um, yes, I feel like I say that to women so much. Of you are not responsible um, because we carry all of that, and you just highlighted that so well. Of even you are not responsible for everybody's happiness at the holiday gathering. You are not responsible for everybody being peaceful. You are not responsible, you know, for um, this making lemons out of lemonade, all those things we put on our pressures on ourselves to make it a peaceful, happy occasion. And I, because I'm a pastor, a lot of my coaching sessions end up with a theme of faith questions Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I have had the question of, but isn't it my duty to speak Mm -hmm. for compassion and love? And like, aren't I supposed, wouldn't God want me to Mm -hmm. correct this person's views? And, you know, and I feel like some of us carry this duty that I have to do something or this is just a slippery slope into disaster. And, and yes, I feel like, yes, you have a voice and a heart of love, use it. However, 
I don't think a loving, compassionate God would say, um, you know, like fight your way through the holidays, mm-hmm. right? I think that they would, a, a loving, compassionate God would say, um, how do you be your best self? How do you show up in the room as love? That's what right. I care about. Right. And so if that's letting this argument go, then I'd rather have you show up as love um, than do this duty to, yeah. you know, speak for your faith. Um, and so I, you know, I think that we do have to keep that in check sometimes. And I do, I, I see it in my own life of, I feel responsible in the room for everybody's peacefulness, mm-hmm. right? Is everybody getting along? Is everybody happy? And, um, and I really have to shed that. And one of the kind of things I say to myself is, is I have to do statements like, you are not responsible mm. for changing their mind. And another statement of, you are safe, even though they're disagreeing with you, you are safe, Ginger. Mm. And I have to remind myself, like, you're sitting across the table from somebody that's disagreeing with you, but you're safe. You're okay. Mm-hmm. They can disagree. You're all right. And I have to remind myself that I, I'm not threatened. We're really just sitting mm-hmm. in a family room having a conversation. Because sometimes I think I take it on as a personal attack and it's really, it's really not. We're just talking about the world at large right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you you know, everyone may need to find that self-talk kind of mantra that you could say to yourself in that contentious moment of this isn't mine to solve or this isn't, you know, I I can allow them to have their beliefs or I am safe, Mm -hmm. even though people are disagreeing with me. Right. And there, there are three things I want to say in response. One, you used the word duty three times. Yes. I didn't want to let that go without okay. naming Interesting. it. Interesting. Um, you know, duty is, um, you know, like, like, like duties, like, yes. duty, like, 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 like poo. Yeah. Like poo. <laughs> um, okay. Wait on that. Now that we're on poo. So my, uh, my husband said, I don't know if it's my husband's quote or my brother-in-law's, but it's like when you're picking up dog poo in the yard, it, it's still, which end of the turd do you want to pick up? And that's kind of how our election <laughs> Okay, fair enough. That's good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, it's, I think it's important. Life gives us so few opportunities to chuckle. And for me, duty is always an opportunity to chuckle. Duty. The second thing that I would want to mention is that it is important. I just, I want to keep circling back to privilege and recognizing that, Mm -hmm. like, as much Mm -hmm. as we might be in a conversation where we are not under threat. Um, you might be in a situation where it's like, oh, I actually don't feel safe here. Like I'm like in a room with That's people true. who are making me feel either emotionally unsafe, like I'm like I'm being potentially abused by some folks, mm-hmm. or like, you know, I'm at a party at a farm and for some reason like I just this is not an environment that I feel comfortable with because I'm a person of color or because I'm a woman or because mm-hmm. of X, Y, or Z. And I don't think that you are ever under any obligation to compromise your own safety mm-hmm. for the sake of family tradition, for the sake of um, other people's feelings or other people, you know, um, having mm-hmm. a good time. Mm-hmm. So we just, I think that we both would believe that and want to mm-hmm. make sure that we name that. The third thing I'd say is that um, there's some guy in the Bible who was like, he, you know, he was always healing folks, but then there was this one time where he was like, I'm really tired and I just want to like, cross the lake mm-hmm. and nap in a boat yes um i think his name was jesus jesus yeah, yeah. Uh, yeshua um in aramaic <laughs> i think it was um yeah so i think that that's embodied for us in mm-hmm. in in many faith traditions yes. where it just says like they're even the people who dedicated their lives to transforming communities mm-hmm. who to speaking mm-hmm. up and being advocates and those types of things like recognize the limitations of their own experiences um and so I think that giving ourselves that permission is a, is a yes. really important part of that process. Yes.
Today's voicemail is from Lindsay. Hey guys, it's Lindsay here. I know I could ask this question to James directly, but I thought it might be beneficial for others to hear it as well. So, I'm asking for us parents out here navigating this hard season right now. I've heard it's pretty normal for our emotions to fluctuate day to day and week to week. Pair that with our kids being more present in our homes and likely witnessing these emotional shifts. I've heard mixed messaging about this, so I'm hoping you can add to the discussion and maybe offer some more clarity. Is it best for our kids to see their parents as humans with real emotions so they also have permission to feel? Or is it best to quote unquote stay strong and show confidence since they look to us for safety and security, especially in times of change and uncertainty? I imagine it's some kind of balance, so I'm really looking forward to hearing your input. Thank you. You guys rock. Okay, so thank you, Lindsay. I'm not sure who um, this was from. Um, is it appropriate for me to say that that, the, that voice sounded really sexy? Um, I don't, uh, anyway. Um, for those of you, it may be important to note that Lindsay is actually my wife um, and had what I think is a really great question. It's an amazing um, question. And uh, which maybe summarizes like, are we responsible to our children in a moment of chaos and crisis? for showing up as, you know, strong, confident, hey, everything's cool, everything's together, or do we let them see us as being overwhelmed mm. and distressed? Um, what's your immediate reaction to that, Jenny? My immediate reaction is let them see you overwhelmed and mm. um, being human because I think that you're modeling for them what they're going to encounter the rest of their life, and that's that we are going to feel big emotions, and we need permission to feel those and process them and and not be shamed for them. And so I think that... The only way we teach that is to model that. And I know every time my kids have seen my human, my human frailty, right, of a, of a meltdown of crying because somebody hurt my feelings or um, it's brought us closer. And mm -hmm. I think that um, I had the same wonders, Lindsay, as a mother, like, uh-oh, you know, should I stay strong and not let them see me do this? And, and I wondered what the right answer was at the time. But in hindsight, now that I have teenagers, I would say that the times where I let them see my big emotions being felt um, certainly brought us closer together and gave them permission to feel them mm -hmm. too. And oftentimes it leads to great conversations afterwards of, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to juggle all the things I'm juggling. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be. And I think they, it teaches them empathy and compassion, um, deeper understanding. Uh, yeah. What do you think, James? No, I, I agree completely. And I would look at it from the perspective of um, the way that men often show up to my office and it's and it's true of everybody but i think that um in u.s culture in particular it is true of people um who identify as male that they are rarely given permission in their families of origin to feel their feelings um and so i have men routinely come to my office and say like i don't know if i know how to have feelings like um and and invariably it goes back to a story of, you know, they tried to show their emotions and they were called a pansy or they were called mm -hmm. a wuss or something like that. Um, and, you know, I asked them, like, did you ever see your your parents, you know, become over? and they're like, no, no, no. Like they always mm -hmm. like I knew that they got upset. I knew that they fought, but they, it was always behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. So what they were modeled was um, that your feelings are not OK. Um, you need to hide those feelings. 
Um, one of the things that we sometimes think about in the context of counseling is that we want to, um, as counselors, sort of show our clients that we're capable of emotion and feeling and so that we want to allow ourselves to be moved uh, when we find ourselves in a particularly overwhelming session. I think where the boundary is, is that we don't want our clients to be in the position of feeling like they have to care for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is probably the only boundary that I would articulate when it mm-hmm. comes to parents demonstrating their emotional experiences. Um, we want to be emotional beings in front of our kids, but we don't want to allow it to become so overwhelming for our kids that they feel like they have to be the parent. Um, so there's, I think that those are questions that we can ask ourselves. And that's not to say that we don't want our kids to like, flex their compassion muscles and say like, oh, mom, like, Mm -hmm. like, it sounds like you're having a really hard time. Like, can I give you a hug? Like, Mm -hmm. that's all fine. Um, I think it's just asking the question, like, if our kids are routinely put into a position where they have to support the parents, um, then that can be disruptive to a number of other different dynamics that are required of parents. Uh, But that would be the only thing that I'd add. So I think that you and I are both in agreement that, you know, be an emotional being in front of your kids, model that kind of openness for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Super Together is produced by James Cochran, Melody Rowell, and me, Ginger Rathis. To learn more about our work and get connected with us and with other folks trying to do their best to make relationships work, check out our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash super together podcast. You can connect with other listeners, engage with me and James, and help us identify relevant topics for the show. You can also find out more information about my work at compassionfix.com. And you can find out more about James at talkingwithjames.com. And if you want to submit a listener voicemail, give us a call at 913-428-9729. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to Super Together. It really does help new people get connected with us. We'll be back next week. Until then, be well. Be well.